Do we have too much fear in the business world and in the security practice? And why are we motivating so much by fear? Stay tuned. Welcome to the Security Leadership Podcast. My name is Yaron Levy. My day job is a CISO, and I'm a member of the security community for more than 10 years. With me here is my co-host Jeff Snyder, who is an executive coach and a security recruiter since 1997. Welcome, Jeff. Good evening. Jeff, Eleanor Roosevelt said, do one thing every day that scares you. Fear can be a great motivator or the strongest blocker. As you shared in one of our previous episodes, you went through some really scary life experiences. How do you live with fear? Wow, that's a heavy question. And I'm happy to answer that question. And I really hope that what we talk about here in this podcast uh, is helpful to everybody who listens because one day you may walk in shoes like the shoes I've already walked in or if you're fortunate you won't but you'll live with someone who does I had a heart attack in 2010 at the same time that I dove headfirst into a brand new sport Uh, Well, a sport for me was brand new, ice hockey. I played three times a week, Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. And I did that for nine months before that heart attack came to me with no pre-existing condition. So the first fear that I had to get over was the fear of being absolutely positively without any doubt, the worst hockey player in the entire southern Colorado region. Every time I went out on the ice, I was humiliated. I was in pain, and I couldn't breathe. The rinks were at six, seven, and 8,500 feet. I literally could not breathe. I didn't have the kind of fitness you need. to operate at that level. So if you were to ask me, did I have fear of diving into hockey? No, I didn't actually, because I didn't have time to worry about it. I was too excited about diving into something that I really had passion for. I just didn't have skill for it yet. Um, One of the other things that was happening simultaneously is I was just beginning to learn Clifton strengths. And I learned that I have the strengths required to make it through that fear. Having that kind of self-confidence crushed the fear that should have come along with deciding to play hockey at age 43, and it did. I didn't have fear. I just had pain for a few months. So you mentioned Clifton strength, and you mentioned that some of those strengths um, you know, are loaded with courage. 
So, so what particular strengths you possess that help you to deal with fear? With fear specifically uh, would be my activator. Activator puts me in a mode of let's go all the time. So my buddy Tim said, hey, would you like to learn how to play ice hockey? The answer was yes. I didn't ask for any details. I didn't how much, ask how much it was going to cost. I didn't ask how long I would feel pain and so on. I just said yes. That was my activator. Once I started playing hockey, I relied on my maximizer. Maximizer is in my DNA to, at the very, very least, want to take good to great. But in this case, I took absolutely lousy to uh, a passing grade before I became any good at all. So I started even lower you know, than good to great. But my maximizer kept me going even when I was humiliated, in pain, tired, and probably somewhat discouraged at times. Let me keep going because there's a couple more. Um, command is a strength that I possess that is uh, it's loaded with courage. It's loaded with uh, I don't know how to fail. I'm, I'm going to figure this out, and I'm going to I'm going to learn how to take charge of this team. So here I was, a brand new player, and I already wanted to take charge of the team. Eventually, I did. <laughs> I paid a price to get there, uh, and and then I would say finally, now there's actually a couple more. Uh, my achiever fit the game of hockey like a like a glove. Achievers like to get things over the finish line. They like to win. They like to finish. They like to complete. My self-assurance is courage first, followed by self-confidence. So that particular uh, trait or strength, if you have it and you've developed it, it is all about courage. So between your activator, maximizer, command, and self-assurance, these are all the influencing strength. That's right. So would you classify somebody with higher influencing traits as more of a risk taker or having less fear or perhaps having more courage? Well, the answer is they should be. They should be able to overcome fear. They're still going to have fear. They're still a human being. But they don't dwell on the fear, and they don't let the fear stop them. They, 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 well, I also have competition. I forgot to mention that. So um, I'm, I'm destined to crush through fear. Somebody who might only have one or two of those traits, well, it depends on whether they've developed the trait into a strength or it's still sitting there as a trait and hasn't yet been polished and they don't have the benefit of the power of that strength. So what about the other side? What about people who do not have these particular traits high 
in their Clifton strength. Are they more fearful? Sometimes, yes. There is one particular strength called deliberative, though. Uh, deliberative is an executing trait, but the gift of deliberative is extremely valuable for people in, in security. Whether it's corporate security or cybersecurity, it doesn't make any difference. People with very, very strong deliberative have a sixth sense for seeing risk that, well, I don't see. My deliberative is not nearly as high as most people. And you want one of those people on your team if you're in charge of a security organization. You want that person who doesn't necessarily have the courage to take risk, but they have the ability to see risk. And their decisions around the topic of risk are phenomenally accurate. So in other words, if you as a security leader are loaded with influencing traits, are loaded with, uh, let's call it um, courage traits, and um, you better have someone deliberative with you. So basically, before you jump into the pool, they can actually check and make sure there is water in it. Well, in my case, I married that person. Congratulations. That, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, it was before I understood Clifton strengths, so I kind of got lucky. But I am married to a relatively high deliberative person her deliberative is the polar opposite of my activator. At first, it was a little rough because I wanted to go and she wanted to stop and think about it for a while. And I wanted to go and she wanted to slow down and I wanted to go. Well, once we finally learned this material and both of us took the assessment and we had the benefit of seeing exactly how different we're wired, we figure out, or we figured out what traits attracted us to one another. And in some cases, in this case, uh, how her deliberative balances my activator. I, I love this example, you know, and um, because when you think about it from team's perspective and you think about, you know, building successful teams, Sometimes we tend to hire people who are very similar to us. You, you mean in our own image, right? Pretty much. Yeah. But then on the other hand, having somebody in your life that is exactly the opposite is actually a good thing because that's going to give you the balance of both sides. That is exactly what I'm saying. Just because somebody takes an assessment doesn't mean they have the strengths that show up on their assessment, it means that those are the potential strengths they have that still need to be worked out, developed, polished, practiced. It's like, it's like going to the gym and you start from nothing, but you're looking at this, this guy over there that has big, huge biceps or a woman who's nicely toned doing her workout, and, and you're thinking, man, I want to look like that. Well, if you go talk to that person, 
Uh, they didn't just show up at the gym looking like that. They, they invested in themselves and they practiced. The same thing has to happen to turn a trait, which is an unpolished potential strength, into a full-blown strength. Which the first step you have to take is actually to know what you have so you know what you have to work with. In the first place, that's where you start. Absolutely. In an article from 2017, the Entrepreneur magazine listed fear of change and fear of failure among the two most common fears in business. The other day I came across something on Twitter from someone who calls themselves Accidental CISO. And here's what they said, quote, Here's the straight truth about this role, the CISO role. You go to the office every day to fight against the inertia of the entire organization to move the needle. Every single initiative has people within the organization pushing back to keep you from doing your job so they don't have to change, end quote. Jeff, I believe a lot of CISOs feel that, even if they're not going to say that out loud. I think it's a sentiment that many, many people feel in the security um, profession. Why are we so afraid to change or to fail? Well, I'm going to keep tying things back to Clifton Strengths, if that's okay with you. That's okay. Uh, you you had me talk about what some of my top strengths are, and I'm not talking about my traits because I have done the developing, the polishing, and the hard work, and I'm sitting on strengths. I love my strengths. Those strengths that I have are statistically quite rare. So there are many, many people in positions of leadership and decision-making who, quite frankly, are not wired to be a great decision-maker. They may get along for a certain amount of time, but they're, they're operating with fear. They very likely operate with high stress because they're trying to be something they were never meant to be. They're not a risk-taker. And, and they're not someone who has the courage to crush fear. So one of the strengths that um, we know is pretty high, I think the most common one is achiever. And as we know, many businesses, many organizations, many companies, they actually encourage and celebrate execution and how much you achieve. Right. As a matter of fact, that's the main thing everybody are talking about during uh, the yearly performance review. Sure. So if a lot of people are getting promoted and getting to their level because of what they achieved, then there's nothing wrong with that. But are they more wired to achieve than taking risks, for example? Ooh, that's a, that's a really interesting perspective. They could be. So 31.5% of people have achiever in their top five traits or potential strengths or if they've developed them in their top five strengths. Achiever doesn't really have anything to do with taking risk. Achiever has to do with, I'll use football for an example, getting the ball over the line into the end zone, scoring the, the points, 
or in hockey or soccer, getting the puck or the ball into the net. That's what an achiever does. They finish. Now, they may be finishing and along the way making decisions that really don't fit the risk appetite that their organization that they work for possesses. So is it really the right thing to celebrate so much achievement? Or maybe, I'm just asking a question here, maybe there should be some metric that measures did the person take the right risks based on how the organization defines its appetite for risk? That's an excellent question. And, you know, perhaps one of the reasons that people are so afraid of failure is because achievers don't like to fail. Achievers like to achieve things, not to fail them. That's right. And on the other hand, um, we have this culture, if you will, that if you fail, you're out. We're afraid to make mistakes. And it's interesting because as kids, before we start walking, how many times did we fall on our butt until we just actually figured out how to walk? But later in life, we're not even encouraged to fail anymore. It's, it's not even like three strikes and out. You just get like one strike and out. And we've seen that in security positions all the time. You have one breach, you get rid of the CISO. The CISO pay with their head. Then what? So, Jeff, you mentioned risk. And I, I think your suggestion is, is, is spot on because, you know, one of the other fears that was listed in the article was the fear of taking risks. And as we know, business in general and cybersecurity is in particular, it, it's all about risk. So how do we get more comfortable with taking risks? Even people who don't have a lot of the risk-taking strength, let's call it this way. Well, you, you assemble a team. That team needs to have an activator on it. Well, good luck. That's 11% of humanity that has a built-in go button. But you need to find a, an activator, somebody who's ready to go. Somebody who's kind of fearless. And to balance that person on the same team, you need somebody who has relatively high deliberative. Not so much deliberative that they turn into the paralysis of analysis person, but the person with high deliberative generally makes very, very good sound decisions, and they don't often make mistakes when it comes to risk. Put those two people on a team and balance the thinking in the team. That, that's good diversity within the team, don't you think? Absolutely. You know, it reminds me um, a presentation I saw a few months ago from my friend Omar Kawaja, uh, who is the uh, CISO for Highmark Health. In his presentation, he was actually asking why cars need brakes. Well, and the answer is in order to drive faster. And the example he used, he said, I'm going to give you a brand new Lamborghini with the most powerful engine. You can have it for free. You can drive as much as you want. There's only one stipulation, no brakes. How fast are you going to drive this car? 
And everybody agreed in the room that, yeah, we're going to drive it extremely slow, if at all, because I don't want to wreck that Lamborghini. But if you had brakes in the Lamborghini, you're going to drive it as fast as you can. So maybe your deliberative is that brake in your team that can help your team move faster. It, it absolutely is. But if you really want that, that formula to work, both the activator person or it could be a competition person or it could be a self-assurance person, that person needs to have developed and polished that trait into a full-blown, unstoppable, near-perfect performance of a strength. And so does the deliberative person. So you need the best performance from each of those team members. And if the team's larger, from everybody on the team. Because everybody brings gifts to the team. Everybody also brings ways to derail the team, whether they know it or not. So Jeff, through your career, when you were coaching and still are coaching many executives, you know, and, and I coach, you know, people who always were in all my teams. For other people who need to coach their teams, what advice do you have for them? How do they help their people to overcome fears? If I had to choose one element, just one, and there's probably many, but for the sake of time, I'll choose one. I'm going to go back to a topic we bring up in nearly every podcast, which is self-awareness. So in coaching people, I, I'm thinking of a couple of very specific clients. These are normal people, real human beings. They're not, they're not the Incredible Hulk. They're not Superman or Wonder Woman. They're just people who want to produce their best version of themselves. The way I've helped those people and the way other leaders can help those people is to help them to figure out exactly who they are, precisely who they're not, get them aimed properly towards uh, actions that require who they are, that will build their confidence, that will build their courage. It'll build their, their excitement with their job. It'll build their engagement with their work. When they're doing things that they have a better than average chance of succeeding in. Like you told me in the past, if you focus on what you should do as opposed to what you can do, that's a great way to build your success and to maximize it and actually build courage by going from one success to another. No question about it. So is fear a good thing or a bad thing? Fear is a natural thing. Uh, we all have fear. There's a little tiny part of the brain that controls our fear. It's called the amygdala. For somebody who wants to go look it up or who knows even more than I know. All I know is when a leader taps the amygdala of one of their people, that person has two instinctive choices. They're either going to fight or they're going to sprout wings and fly away. 
So fear is, is a natural, instinctive thing that we have as human beings. Animals have fear. We have fear. Fear is a, is a mechanism that can keep us alive. But also the one thing that will determine whether we stay in our comfort zone or will get us out of our comfort zone. That's right. So as a leader, you can trigger someone's amygdala. Um, we can cause them to go into a zone where they hug their comfort zone. There may be a much better alternative just outside of what they're used to, their comfort, but they're so in love. Human beings become so in love with their, their comfort zone that even when the comfort zone becomes miserable and ugly and cold and wet and dark, they'll still hang on to the comfort zone rather than taking one step that might look like a risk to get to something better. Which brings us to the quote from Eleanor Roosevelt at the beginning, do something that scares you every day. And Jeff, that brings us to the end of our episode. Thank you very much. I appreciate all the wisdom as always. I want to thank our audience and everyone who was sharing their feedback and thoughts with us. Please continue to do so. You can contact us via LinkedIn through our profile pages or through the Cybersecurity Leadership page. Um, also, we would greatly appreciate if you can post feedback and rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google or Spotify. Thank you for your support and we'll see you next time.